tomorrow. And On Balance starts right now. Tonight, perfect storm. One video crystallizes life after four years of progressive policies. Defund the police, no bail, open borders. The list goes on. Here's to you, America. Come illegally, kick a cop, and live rent-free in New York. Why deportation is not an option. That was fast. The new national poll shows Joe Biden beating Donald Trump. He's edging out Donald Trump in a head-to-head matchup. The trends here may be changing. Presto, Trump's lead in the polls disappears, and the media loves it. What's the holdup? More missiles are fired at American ships and still no action against Iran for that deadly strike. New questions about the chain of command at the Department of Defense. Common fail. America's reading report card is in, and it's not great. The bright-eyed teacher who quit public schools to start her own. And attacking Satan. The Navy vet arrested for tearing apart a satanic altar. Attack Satan can get you five years. Attacking the White House? Why, we're still waiting for arrests. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, about 80% of Americans now say the country is going in the wrong direction. This picture explains why we all feel that way. It's an illegal immigrant who got out of jail without bail. The NYPD arrested him after he beat up two cops, and as you can see, he is flipping the bird to the cameras as he walked out of jail, flipping the bird with both fingers. And he's not going to be deported because New York is a sanctuary city. We showed you the video yesterday of four illegal immigrants beating up two cops in Times Square. It turns out there were five attackers, actually. Not because they were trying to get away or the cops were trying to arrest them, but just because they could. They wanted to get into a fight with police officers. They were arrested and then let out of jail promptly, almost immediately, thanks to the no-bail policy in New York. 20 years ago, you'd spend time at Rikers for jumping the turnstiles in the subway, but not this guy. Just think about the past five years, how things have changed. Defund the police, no-bail policies, George Soros-backed prosecutors who refused to prosecute a myriad of felonies, the open border, sanctuary cities, the release of virtually any illegal immigrant into the United States who comes across. Sort of explains the demise of blue cities we've seen, especially over the past couple of years. You think about the demonization of the police and the lack of support for police. It's all right there. Johan Boada, 22 years old. He's the fifth guy in this lineup. And actually, there is even more to this story. The New York Post reports four of the five arrested in beating the police officers have already fled New York for California. They allegedly gave false names to one of the many groups that give free bus rides to illegal immigrants, and off they went. This conversation isn't really political. 80% of America believes we are heading in the wrong direction. Even New York's very liberal governor talked about deporting the five who were caught on camera beating up those two New York cops. (laughs) 
be fair, she doesn't have the power to deport, and New York is a sanctuary city, so her words ring a little hollow. New York City law prevents the NYPD from working with ICE. Republican Congresswoman from New York, Nicole Melikatortis, is with us now. It's nice to see you, ma'am. Thank you. Um, Help us understand uh, how we got here, perhaps more importantly, how we move on from here to get things at least moving in the right direction. Yeah, what you're seeing is city, state, and federal policy uh, from Democratic lawmakers coming to a head, and it's really become a disaster for our communities. Uh, This is just one video that we've seen, but we know that another migrant was murdered in a shelter. We know uh, that there's been other assaults on police officers. There have been dozens of arrests for shoplifting. There have been arrests uh, for all um, other crimes as well. And it's extremely concerning that our sanctuary policy of New York City is protecting these individuals and the city is prohibiting um, the NYPD from cooperating with immigration and customs enforcement. And this is something that is unacceptable. It's like going to somebody's house for dinner and you break all the china. I mean, you outdo your welcome. And the fact that the taxpayers that I represent are being forced by this mayor to continue to house these individuals in luxury hotels, uh, provide their every need, even legal services they're paying for, laundry services, is just unacceptable. So I'm calling on ICE to deport these individuals. The thing, the problem is they got to do it on their own. They can't get any cooperation whatsoever from the NYPD. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, though, if it doesn't go beyond just this issue of illegal immigration, right? You sort of think about the picture of, of that man flipping the bird to everybody. It kind of explains a mentality, I think, about, and you made a great point about shoplifting. Gavin Newsom out in California, the governor there, who has gone to great lengths in California to appease shoplifters and to decriminalize it, was caught on camera talking about it. Take a listen. Says, sir, uh, you dropped this. And he comes back, picks it up, and he's walking out. As we're checking out, the woman says, oh, he's just walking out. He didn't pay for that. I said, well, why didn't you stop him? She goes, oh, the governor. I swear to God, true story. On my mom's grave. The governor lowered the threshold. There's no, there's no, there's no accountability. There's no, I said, it's just not true. Look, I'm wondering if when you're in Congress and talking to Democrats, and, and there's still a little bit of this that goes on in Washington, if they're not also part of the 80 percent of Americans who feel that the country's going in the wrong direction, but they're caught because if they actually want to do anything about it, it irritates the 20 percent of of the progressive base that really does believe in all of these policies. Well, it's interesting uh, because we've had a number of pieces of legislation, one that would secure our border and end this crisis by reverting policies back to the previous administration. Democrats refuse to vote for it, and um, Senator Schumer refuses to even bring it for a floor vote in the Senate. We've also taken up bills just this week that would make it a, a deportable offense if an individual is committing fraud against senior citizens or any type of financial crime. Uh, but in the top, on top of that, even if somebody is driving under the influence or uh, chasing, trying to evade a CBP officer and that officer gets killed, um, all of these things they seem to not want to have penalties for, or at least they're not voting to strengthen penalties for. So they continue to defend the policies of President mm-hmm. Joe Biden, 
Uh, and quite frankly, you know, they're all responsible for it. They are complicit in what Joe Biden is doing, which is just a blanket open border policy at the expense of American citizens, safety and tax dollars. I don't think this will surprise you, but obviously there's uh, the Senate bill, some kind of bipartisan agreement about border policy in exchange for Ukraine funding, whether or not it gets to the House, who knows. But uh, the, the White House is now pushing a narrative that it's Republicans to blame for not being willing to make a deal. Uh, and it's being covered that way. We're going to play back to back the New York Times Daily podcast and then CNN blaming Republicans for this. Take a listen. But all of a sudden, the right wing of the Republican Party starts to get really, really stubborn about saying, we're not going to let you have this money unless you give us something that's important to us in terms of national security. And that is more border enforcement on the southern border with Mexico. I'm not sure it's really a fair. I'm not sure it's really a fair criticism, but politics isn't fair. And I'm wondering if there's not a a fear within the Republican Party that what is a really important issue, and you point out rightfully how important, if that's not going to come back around uh, because of the media coverage on Republicans in November. Well, I think uh, Americans know by now that Joe Biden's executive orders is what's responsible. And quite frankly, laws are not necessarily needed here. We actually just need Joe Biden to undo his executive orders. We passed a bill because Joe Biden refuses to do his job. But now we have Senator Schumer refusing to his do his job and pass that bill. Now, Senator Schumer says he has some type of deal, but the Senate hasn't passed anything yet. We have not seen any language yet. So how can we negotiate with the Senate on border security if we haven't even seen their priorities? What we hear from the media is they want to legalize what we're seeing at the border mm-hmm. by allowing 1.8 million people to continue to pay the cartels to be smuggled here. That is unacceptable to Republicans. That is not border security. Um, and so what we want, we want the Senate to pass something so that we can start negotiating in good faith because our bill has been passed and sitting on his desk since May. All right. Fair enough. Congresswoman, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, This story will continue for sure. Uh, Hard to imagine a better uh, picture for the problems uh, that we've been talking about for so long when it comes to immigration. Ma'am, thank you. Uh, Lots changed in the past 24 hours when it comes to political fortunes. New polling from Quinnipiac spells some serious trouble for former President Trump. Just yesterday, he went on a tear touting polling that shows he's winning in all the swing states. But The polling we're about to show you is a little more reliable from Quinnipiac. It shows he's getting trounced by President Biden among women, 58 to 36, a five percentage point swing in just a month. So I don't want to say we predicted this, but we kind of told you last month about, told you last night about how the media coverage was going to change the way polling worked. Recent media coverage is devastating to Trump. The E. Jean Carroll verdict, which was covered wall to wall, The MAGA meltdown over Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift being very popular with suburban women. And suddenly now we're hearing that the economy is getting better and better and better. The Dow closed an all-time high tonight. And last night, MSNBC said we had the greatest economy on Earth. It's working. Take a look at the clips. If you ignore 2020, the economy under Biden is still doing better than Trump's was. Can she get the black vote too? Or are you going to go get Beyonce to do that? I mean, how much are we going to divide the public? This is a little bit what idolatry 
I think, looks like, and you're not supposed to do that. Hmm. All right. Trump's also taking heat from his primary opponent, Nikki Haley. Her new ad campaign goes after both the former and current president. It is called Grumpy Old Men, complete with the movie poster. The same Quinnipiac poll we mentioned earlier shows Haley beating Biden in a head-to-head Trump race. Trump, on the other hand, loses. Lauren Wright is here, associate research scholar, lecturer, politics, public affairs, Princeton University. Good to see you, Lauren. Help me out here. I think about the fact that last month, people weren't really covering politics. People weren't really thinking about politics. It was Christmas. It was Thanksgiving, on and on and on. You've had a month for people to digest the coverage that has started. The Democrats really began their campaign uh, probably a week before Iowa, say, President uh, Biden started making campaign speeches. Uh, now you've got a month to digest it, and suddenly we see a five-point swing in women. That's significant, is it not? It's something to be worried about. And you're right, Leland, you've been talking about it. And we've said again and again, these numbers will flip flop a bunch of times. A lot of them are within the margin of error. It's not that telling. But let me address the Nikki Haley ad really quick, because I think this is a really interesting strategy. Do you know what the turnout rate among grumpy old men is? It's 74% among male voters 75 and older. If you drop that to 65, it's 76%. Alienating these people in a Republican primary, I simply can't understand. Maybe she's in the general election mindset where, sure, draw a contrast to Biden. Maybe these guys will come with you anyway. But right now, running against a former president, I really can't make sense of it. I, I don't get it. Yeah, you make a great point in terms of the primary, what it does. The only thing I can think of is, is that at least grumpy old men sort of realize, I think about you know yours and my parents, that they, they kind of realize they're old and maybe go, hey, uh, at 75 years old, I shouldn't be president because I've lost a little bit of my fastball. Um, you hope people have that much realization. Speaking of this point, and I think this is interesting because for so long, President Biden's team kept pounding their chests and saying there's absolutely nothing wrong with President Biden. He hasn't lost a beat. Right. He worked so hard from, from morning till night, and he does push-ups and on and on and on. And then suddenly they changed. Suddenly age became wisdom. And now they're sort of calling attention to the issue of, for lack of a better term, senior moments. They put out this ad about Trump's senior moments, and then we'll look at the coverage. Take a listen. We won last time. We won 50 states. We are an institute. In a powerful death penalty, we will put this on. What's that? We are a very powerful institute death penalty? Uh, and, and he famously won all 50 states in 2016, as, as he said. You've been in, you know, you've seen how campaigns operate. Do they have our sort of internals that say the senior moments of Joe Biden are baked in, therefore we, we don't mind calling attention to this? I highly doubt it. I mean, maybe there's been extensive experimental testing and maybe there's some evidence that suggests this is a good strategy. I doubt it. That's not how most presidential campaigns work. Most of the time, it's relying on the gut instinct of, frankly, overpaid advisors. But look, the problem with an identity-based appeal, Leland, and that's exactly what this is based on age, is you're implicitly supporting the other side of the argument that if not for this one characteristic, everything would be different. If not for Trump's age, maybe the policies are okay. If not for Trump's age, you know, maybe there's no other problem. And so that's the real crux of the issue is the policies aren't being addressed. It's just 
something about the person. And I've never seen an example of a successful campaign where age is made a central issue. It's just not really what voters care about. Well, it was tried on Ronald Reagan and he flipped the script on it. Lauren, it's good to see you as always. Thank you very much. Coming up next, almost a week after Iranian militias killed three American soldiers, those militia leaders are safely back in Tehran and ordering more attacks against America. The Pentagon's latest explanation for holding its fire. And fury grows in Europe as farmer protests keep spreading to Brussels and even Ireland. Why they're so angry, why it echoes what is here in America, and why you might want to stock up on butter before the prices go sky high. Tolerate attacks on American troops, and neither will I. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin there talking about the attack that killed three American soldiers in Jordan. Secretary Austin confirmed today that the retaliatory strikes have been approved and will happen over the course of several days, possibly weeks, but haven't happened yet. And the Iranians are still firing back today. The U.S. Navy fought off new planned attacks from the Houthis in Yemen. According to Central Command, the strikes took out 10 Houthi drone sites. The Houthis themselves fired Uh, a number of things, a number of missiles and drones at the American ships. It's been four days since that drone attack in Jordan. So far, it is all quiet in Karbala, Iraq, where it is three in the morning. Uh, That is one of the Shia strongholds, which is the Iranian uh, sect of Islam. Military officials say the retaliatory strikes are likely to start once the weather in the Middle East clears, although it appears to be a pretty clear night tonight. The delay is always problematic. You lose the sense of surprise. You lose the violence of action. Iran's proxies are spaced out all across the Middle East. So this is Iran. This is Iraq, Yemen, Saudi Arabia here. This is uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. And then obviously in Gaza, there the Houthis uh, down here that can fire on U.S. ships in the Red Sea. Reports are that a number of the heads of the Iraqi militias that fired the drone into Jordan and killed the Americans, they've headed back to Tehran. So we'll take a look now uh, in terms of U.S. assets in the region. This over here is Iran, Saudi Arabia. This is Jordan. This is where the base is that the drone hit and killed the three Americans. This is Iraq. Uh, And you think about these areas, these concentrations is where the Shia militias mostly operate. Uh, And then they have some bases here. and They obviously have some bases uh, there in Syria. So it's been four days now. And not only haven't we hit any of the people who planned these attacks or carried them out in Iraq, we haven't hit anybody in Iran who are the benefactors and who provide the money and the command and control to the militias. We want to bring in Chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Congressman Mark Green. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thank you. Uh, Are we making too much out of this delay, you think? Uh, yeah, well, no, you're not making too much out of it. And yeah, it's a it's a huge problem. I mean, this whole notion that um, at a time of our choosing and you know trying to gain the sort of upper hand in the dialogue. I mean, we need to launch missiles. Why don't you think we have? I don't know. I can't explain it. I mean, it, it's as if... You, know, you, you served in Iraq for a long sure, time. Yeah. You, you went up in, Yeah, you've yeah. been, you, you've <laughs> been, been there. Been there, done that. Right, and, you, and, you, and you've gone up against these same militias. Yeah. You were there. Uh, are they... And I'm wondering here in terms of what this strike package looks like, and we think about 
how robust it could be. How good are these militias at these moments of moving their their men, their sensitive equipment on and on out of the places we would have hit? Well, they're very good at uh, concealment. You know, it took us how many years to get Osama bin Laden? Uh, how many months to get Saddam Hussein? Um, it, this is a challenge to us. But our intel operations are very good in the area. Um, but honestly, it should be almost immediate. It really should be immediate. Counter-battery fire, you sense where the missiles or the drones come from, and you destroy where they, they launch from. That's a no-brainer. That's the beginning, not, that, the, not the end. Exactly. I, I'm thinking, though, just sort of long, you know, big picture in terms of what's going on. And I know you have a lot of constituents who are over... Uh, sees serving. This is what Secretary Austin said uh, in the middle, if you will, this is October 31st, what he said in the middle of the 160 so strikes by Iranian militias on U.S. forces. Take a listen. We've been clear, the President's been clear, and I, and I have been clear, uh, Vice Chair, that uh, if that, if this doesn't stop, then we will respond. I'm wondering if Iran even believes this anymore. Oh, no, not, not at all. I mean, look, when they came into office, they took the Houthis off the terrorist watch list. They made a $6 billion deal for a few hostages. They uh, began the JCPOA talks. I mean, they want to be friends with Iran. They don't know a good guy from a bad guy. I keep saying that. Honestly, in this whole uh, interchange, we've got to stop striking at the tail of the snake and start hitting the head of the snake. We talk about the head of the state. We'll put back up uh, the Iranian militias. Uh, This was referred to by one of our viewers, I thought, very well as the Middle East Mafia, uh, and then run by the Ayatollah in Tehran. I think you'd agree with that uh, assessment. But I I think about this in terms of going after actual leadership and taking them out. Would that make a difference? Sure, it would make a difference for a time, uh, depending on which level of the leadership you go after. But we know very well there is a seed in Iran planted for a revolution. I mean, there are folks there who want regime change. And if we strike in the right places, we might start something that could bring freedom to the Iranian people. And that would be a very or at least thing. make the Or at least make the Ayatollah so scared sure, that he's sure. sort of less likely to be adventuresome around Absolutely. the world. Look, we saw, we saw the uh, Obama administration turn their back on the Green Revolution. That's right. Uh, we've seen the Biden administration turn their back uh, on the hijab re- revolution that tried to start with the women in the streets um, in Iran. Help us understand what you think is going on with Lloyd Austin. This is a guy, I think you served either with him or under him. Uh, uh, he was actually a battalion commander when I was a rifle company commander in the same brigade in the 82nd Airborne Division. Okay, so this is a soldier soldier. Do you think he really believes all this as he's sitting up there and saying it? I can't really say. You know, when I knew him when he was a young infantry warrior. Um, he's been a politician for a very long time. And trust me, that has uh, an effect on you. Um, and he's in an administration where they're very clearly different. Uh, they don't want to fight back. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I can't really say. If we give the administration their very best argument, which is that the Israeli-Palestinian fight is at the heart of the problems in the Middle East, and if they manage that effectively, we'll have a segment later on how they're trying to do that, but if they manage that effectively, and as we heard from Lloyd Austin today, his number one priority is non-escalation, then the Iranians are willing to sit back and play nice with everybody because they want to be part of the international community. I do not believe that the Israeli-Palestinian issue is the heart of it in, in the Middle East. I think the Shia-Sunni divide is a big concern. I think KSA has a huge fear of Iran. 
Um, they say it's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. This is much bigger than just Israel. I mean, Iran wants to dominate. If you look at their uh, constitution, it actually says the Islamic Revolu- uh, Republic will rule the world. So I think it's far bigger than just uh, Israel and Palestine. Thanks for Good having to see, me. Sir. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll stay overseas and head to Europe, where the farmers' strike there has continued for another few days. Give it another week, prices here in America are going to start to skyrocket. Talking about dairy and meat prices in the supermarket especially. This is a video overnight from the Netherlands. Farmers blocked a supermarket distribution center there. In Brussels, they're pumping manure and other things around the EU parliament. Considering the EU parliament, it's hard to blame the farmers. In Ireland, farmers left their fields and are blocking highways now. You can see them with their flags. Portugal's has farmers there joining into the protest. That's important because of where Portugal is in terms of how their growing cycle is. This is a time you get crops from Portugal. They're angry about a lot of stuff. For example, in Ireland, there were plans to slaughter 200,000 cows to combat climate change. Farmers get angry when you start talking about slaughtering their cows. Farmers are, of course, the backbone of any society. Without them, we don't eat. It's that simple. It's about the oldest profession that there is, is growing food. And the farmers are angry about all sorts of stuff. We've been talking about it for a while, right? Climate regulations, taxes, fuel prices, free trade agreements. There's a lot for them to be angry about. We feel the same issues here in America, an elite aristocracy dictating to the rest of us what's good for all of us, irrespective of the cost, because the elite aristocracy has the money to do it. And sure, Europe always had an entrenched aristocracy, as George Will likes to point out, We here in America were born free of that, but it's starting now to feel like here in America we have an aristocracy. And that's a bad thing. That's why so many Americans feel like the farmers in Europe do. Here in America, 77% of elites support, quote, strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity. Strict rationing, all in the name of fighting climate change. 28% of everyone else does. The polling firm Rasmussen defines elites as postgraduate degrees living in high-density areas and making more than $150,000 a year. So Europe is coming to America. Tomorrow we'll talk with someone in the protests as they spread across the continent. We talk about this a lot in War Notes. gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m., our look at the most important stories of the day. We invite you to sign up for free at warnotes.com. You can see there, you can also connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Leland Vitter. Next, the country raced, the United States raced, to adopt Common Core, the Obama-era teaching standards that were going to raise students to new heights. Well, we finally got the report card. It takes a while to screw up the education system in America, but it happened. We're going to introduce you to one young teacher who has had enough and, more importantly, is doing something to save the next generation. This chart says an awful lot that we're about to show you. Children in America were getting better at reading and writing for decades. Getting better. Right up until 2010, and then they dramatically drop off, and they continue to crash. Things are getting worse quickly. What happened in 2010, you might ask? 46 states adopted the federal government's Common Core Learning Program. It changed the way students learn. Take reading, for instance. Districts switched from phonic reading, where you learn by sounding words out, how we all learned, to a new guessing-based method, which you use the text as well as pictures and digital media to get the meaning. It didn't work. 
Then Mississippi went back to basics. Things changed. It went from 49th in the U.S. to 21st in fourth grade literacy rates in 2022. They continue to go up. Just last week, the state of Maryland announced it hopes to mirror Mississippi's success by teaching phonics. Kali Fontanilla has spent over 15 years as an educator, writes frequently about schooling in America. Her most recent piece compared Common Core to a sinking ship and joins us now. Thank you. Um, Look, you think about the ship analogy. I like it. Um, Who cares about the ship, which is Common Core? I know there's a lot of money behind it to try to save it. But what you worry about is the kids, right, who are on the ship, who've, who've had their math numbers fall down and their reading numbers fall down. Can we save the kids? Absolutely. There is still time. And America needs to know that there's still time, but we need to do it now. We need to change what is happening in our public schools now and get rid of Common Core now. Um, we are at right now, most of our students are at about 30 to 40 percent proficient in math, 50 to 60 percent proficient in reading. And I'm a teacher. That grade is an F. So we, we really do need to take some action right now. And this should be bi- bipartisan on getting rid of Common Core. It doesn't work. I think your story is so interesting, right? Because you started out as a public school teacher and you were so sort of in and bought into the ideas behind it and the Obama administration's ideas on on education. And then you left because you saw what happened. You started your own uh, homeschooling operation. And now I'm, I'm interested because homeschooling is now under attack by the left as well. Professor Elizabeth Bartholet Uh, Once a presumptive ban on homeschooling, she is a law professor at Harvard, published a letter calling for stricter regulations on homeschooling, sparking a debate about issues ranging from government intervention in schooling to Harvard elitism. And I'm wondering why you think people are so threatened now by what you're trying to do. Well, for one, homeschool students have always outperformed public school students. And I think America is waking up to that fact, and they're realizing that our public schools are giving are students a bad deal? Free is not always free, and there is a cost with that. And also, when a parent pulls a kid, a child from the school, they take away the money that is that is being sent for that child to the district or you know to the school, and that is the main threat. It's it's money. And if you think about Common Core, there's billions and billions of dollars spent on adopting these new standards and getting, including getting all of these new books and curriculum. And it's just a waste. And our students are very much affected by this. And uh, parents are fed up. They're ready to pull their kids from public schools. And that's why we've seen millions of, of parents make that decision. And I, I can see why they're threatened. <laughs> Look, and when people get threatened, they, they, get, they get desperate, for lack of a better term. I'm wondering what you think of what happened in Mississippi. Uh, we've had Tate Reeves on the governor a couple of times to talk. They call it the Mississippi miracle, right? They all of a sudden said, we're going back to phonics and we're going to start holding kids back and we're going to really prioritize kids uh, in third grade if they can't read. Uh, we're going to make them read or they don't move on. And here is the governor. Take a listen. Our high wow. school graduation rates are rising rapidly as well. We've gone from 72.5% high school graduation rates now to 88.9% high school graduation rate, better than the national average. And so um, we're seeing what is, in fact, truly a Mississippi miracle, and it's because of conservative reforms. Uh, Is it really conservative reforms, Callie, or is it student-first reforms? Well, like I said, it shouldn't be partisan, the the education of our nation's children. 
I think that there's too many interest groups that are, that have their fingers in our schools. Like, for example, Bill Gates was a huge funder of Common Core, $200 million from the Gates Foundation to get Common Core implemented. There's too many hands that are in the in in the uh, too many interests that are trying to control our nation's educa- our students' me, education when it should be the teacher. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm, is it more about too many interests about? Education, because I think you can, we can all agree that people have, or hopefully agree, people have good intentions, right? They want kids to learn. They want kids to excel. I, don't I guess think I can I'm, agree on that, but <laughs> oh no, well that, that, that's sort of where I was getting right. Yeah, is, sure. Is, is it about is it about kids excelling, or is there some other ulterior motive that may not be so much political as it is ideological? I think it's about control. And I do think think that there is an agenda to dumb down our nation's children so that they will basically obey whatever the government is telling them and lack critical thinking skills and have an illiterate nation that doesn't know how to self-govern so that they can bring in more governmental control. But that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, that, 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 that is indeed. It's one, it's one we have often, though, on this show. So we'll have you back yeah. to have that conversation. I'm Sounds really good. admiring. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to speak out. Um, I hate the term speaking out, but it takes a lot of courage to be blunt and to be willing to speak truth to power and to go out and start your own thing. And we're glad to have you and we will have you back. Uh, People can find uh, the latest article you wrote on my Twitter feed. Um, And we're we're looking forward to to talking about a lot of things. Thank you you for having me. Thank you for having me. Coming up next, the unlikely connection of black pastors in America and the desires of the Palestinian people. They are not serving each other well, and Joe Biden is caught in the middle. That conversation when we come back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mean to Palestinian civilians. And yes, often Jewish settlers do horrible things. The executive order does really nothing to stop that. Nor will the Biden administration's idea of unilaterally recognizing a Palestinian state change much. Today, groups in D.C. shut down traffic here, chanting, free, free, Palestine. Okay, and others unfurl the banner in front of the Holocaust Museum, hands off Yemen. This has nothing to do with a two-state solution has nothing to do with Israelis and Palestinians living in peace side by side. These protests support the eradication of the state of Israel. That's what Hamas wants. That's what the Houthis in Yemen want. Remember, hands off Yemen. Even before October 7th, only 24% of Palestinians believe in a Palestinian state peacefully living side by side with Israel. Only 24% of Palestinians want this. And yet, The Biden administration says they might declare it unilaterally. Brett Bruin is here, director of global engagement at the Obama White House. Brett, we're glad to have you as always. I I keep coming back to this, that there's two worldviews. There's the worldview that puts 
the Israel-Palestinian conflict at the center of all the problems in the Middle East, and there's the worldview that puts the Iranian conflict uh, at the center of all problems in the Middle East and the Iranian regime there. And I'm wondering what it is about the ethos of the Obama team and now the Biden team that keeps going back to this idea, this 1980s, 1990s view, that the, the, the Palestinians are the victims of everything, and if only we solve that problem, there will be peace and honey and flowers. Well, look, Leland, I think there's a few factors at work. One, uh, the long hand of Tehran uh, is actually um, being felt not only in places uh, like Yemen, Lebanon, and uh, Gaza, but also, obviously, um, we've got adversaries ranging from the Russians all the way through uh, to uh, some of our um, so-called friends, uh, the likes of Saudi Arabia and other Gulf countries that are all stirring the pot to certain degrees here. And yes, um, the Biden administration has not done a great job when it comes to balancing and navigating that treacherous terrain. And look, the latest example is uh, this effort to have a limited response uh, to the attack on um, our base that killed three American servicemen. Well, let's be clear. So far, you say there's a limited response. So far, there's been no response, at least that we at least that we know of, to, to, to be fair. How much of this do you think is a domestic political issue? This wasn't as big of a problem for the the Obama White House when you were there. More than a thousand black pastors are pressing Biden to restrain Israel in his war with Hamas, threatening that if he doesn't do so, it will cost him black support in November. We see them as part of us, Reverend Cynthia Hale of Decatur, Georgia. I, it, it is bewildering to me how uh, these two groups have gotten linked because there are so many differences, but I digress. I, you saw the president now go to Michigan. He knows he's got a problem with Arab Americans. When you when you think about Arab Americans, though, I'm wondering if declaring a Palestinian state is going to do a lot more on the Upper East Side of New York, where people like to think that the Palestinians can, you know, are the root of all problems. And most Arab Americans perhaps look at things a little bit more like the Iranians and the Houthis and Hamas and Islamic Jihad do than like they want to think the Palestinians do. Yeah, and let me say off the bat, uh, unilaterally declaring that uh, the U.S. supports um, the uh, creation of the Palestinian state without leveraging um, what is clearly needed in terms of concessions from Palestinian leaders is just a bad idea. It's bad diplomacy. But we've seen this, Leland, again and again, where uh, Biden and his team uh, essentially seed a lot of uh, these points, seed a lot of this ground, and, and then struggle to um, get uh, folks like Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela to comply with um, the asks that uh, we have of them. So in this case, look, it's really important that we certainly uh, send a strong message to Hamas as well as to other Palestinian leaders that the path to a two-state solution runs through compromise, runs through, obviously, recognition that Israel has a right to exist. Yeah. And you, you think about if they declare it unilaterally, then it it really gives up. It's like, you know, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Uh, why why have peace when you can get a state for free? Brett, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Look forward to having you in studio sometime soon. Next, a quick look at the American justice system. 
where you tear down a satanic altar before Christmas, you get charged with hate crime. Attack the White House, you walk away scot-free. Strange way justice is served or not served in America today. Sometimes things come full circle. We started this show with a picture of Juana Borada, 22, flipping us all off. He's an illegal immigrant who beat up two NYPD cops and got released without bail. Just think about the past five years. This picture explains it all, right? Defund the police, no bail, prosecutors refuse to prosecute, the open borders, sanctuary cities, the release of virtually any illegal immigrant into the United States. It's led to the demise of big blue cities. Obviously, there's a complete lack of support for police. Boada benefits from all of those things. Law-abiding citizens in New York, well, they're probably part of the 80% of Americans who think the country is going in the wrong direction. There's another reason people feel that way. Things seem fundamentally unfair. Consider the justice system these days. Prosecutors in Iowa just charged a former Navy fighter pilot with a hate crime. He faces five years in jail for tearing down a satanic display in the state capitol. And by all accounts, including his, he did it. Fine. Most cable news programs would either ignore this story or complain about it. But look, fair is fair. You break the law, you break the law. That's fair. But maybe 80% of Americans think the country is going in the wrong direction because nobody, not one person, got arrested in two separate attempts to storm the White House. Pro-Hamas groups twice tried to break down the fencing. Secret Service once evacuated the White House because they almost broke through, and yet not a single arrest. They were chanting pro-Hamas and pro-Houthi slogans. Those are terrorist groups. Pro-terrorist group people trying to break into the White House. It sounds like a hate crime, but no. Then there's the six pro-life activists who face 11 years in prison for blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic while praying. Again, you do the crime, you do the time. It is illegal. So let's recap what we have learned tonight. Five illegal immigrants can beat up NYPD officers and promptly get released without even posting bail. If you try to tear down the White House fence to support a terrorist group killing Americans, that's fine. If you deface a satanic altar, that's five years in hate crime. If you pray in protest of abortion, 11 years in federal prison. 80% of Americans say the country is heading in the wrong direction. I'm a journalist. My job is to ask questions, so here it is. Who exactly are the 20% of Americans who think we're on the yellow brick road? Here's Chris. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Thursday. We have breaking news. So what do you say? Let's get after it. Look, we thought it was going to be weeks, but good news. We know what killed the three men that were found frozen in their friend's Kansas City backyard. It's not going to be helpful to the families and their grieving, but at least now they'll know. And there is a remaining danger. We have a reporter in Kansas City who has the details, and we have two big questions. Who is to blame? And are there 